and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 231. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Ian Cooper. Hey, Kip. Thank you for having me. Of course, the pleasure's all mine, because today we're going to be talking about a shared love, if I may, of the Vlogbrothers on YouTube. That's Hank and John Green, and they alternate posting Tuesday and Friday videos that are about four minutes long, sometimes storytelling, but quite often intellectual, philosophical, and really engaging, in my opinion, in a way I hope this show is for listeners. And so given that common ground, I was eager to discuss some of the ideas they present with you as we've both seen their videos. And in particular, this episode is a discussion of or a reaction to a video Hank made in August of 2018 entitled My Worst Job Search Fail. And in this very charming video, Hank describes how he was visiting the nonprofit at which his wife works, where he had at one point applied and he overheard a story from one of her co-workers in which this man was talking about the worst cover letter he ever read. Hank quickly deduced, through some internal embarrassment, that the cover letter being described was in fact his own. And the topic he then gets into is the idea of job rejection, and the fact that most of us never hear back from jobs we don't get. Very interestingly, the two points he made, which really stood out to me and we may come back to in this dialogue, were that many rejections are made for dumb or silly reasons, that managers simply have too many applicants, and it's not a reflection on any one individual, but just the quantity. And additionally, that managers are busy people. As much as they are hiring, they're also looking after current employees and they simply don't have the time to write thoughtful, honest, or in-depth reflections on why a candidate was rejected. And I think our society would agree that candidates aren't owed anything in the process of rejection. But when I brought this topic up to you, you had a lot to say, as do I, and so I'm really looking forward to digging into it with you. Yes, I definitely found the video very intellectually stimulating. I was quite taken by the fact that not only in job searches do we rarely hear back, but also in many other aspects of life, particularly dating in the modern era, especially with the introduction of online dating through smartphone apps and that sort of medium, but also through many other different ways in which we are rejected. I would argue that rejection letters we receive from universities are cookie cutter at best and rarely tell us anything about the nature of why we were rejected. On a slightly different note, I found it very interesting that the person in question in Hank's story would never have imagined that he was speaking directly to the person whom he was rejecting. So I, I find the fear that we have of rejecting someone in person definitely an aspect of this to discuss. You make a great point about Hank's story, and for me what's so painful, even from our degree of separation as the viewer, is that I'm sure Hank was able to get past that initial rejection, regardless of how much the job meant to him, because you're going to be rejected from jobs. But to then visit said job place, and be brought back into that state of powerlessness, and through a story that makes you feel very vulnerable and very flawed, I have to imagine, based on the way he told it, was a particular pain in the same way that I think many of us don't always want to hear why we were rejected because that stuff stings. For me, it seems like healthy and important information through which you can struggle and eventually grow. 
I think the key is not to take the rejections or even the information you may sometimes glean in rare cases as personal information, but subjective critiques on you as an artistic work in progress. I think sometimes people use that phrase far too liberally and to excuse their behavior, but ideally we are all growing. And part of me wonders if the lack of information we receive in rejection stymies that growth. I would make the comparison to evolution as a system, which doesn't produce perfection, but does refine many organisms and say that when certain species do or don't survive, we as human observers can appreciate which traits made them more likely to get by or even to thrive. Evolution isn't necessarily learning, but to an extent, one's genetics learn over time in a very, very high-level view. And I dare to say that we might, as a society, owe one another similar honesty, though not on a genetic level, if we hope to improve one another, and of course ourselves. It's definitely a very interesting question to wonder about. I loved your comparison between evolution, and I think there's a lot to unpack there, because the point I think you're really trying to hit on there is that you were rejected for a reason, and that reason is holding you back in some way, shape, or form, especially since you are seeking whatever you were rejected from, presumably. So I think, to bring it back to Hank and his situation, the fact that he was exposed to this sort of information about why he had been rejected from this position at this nonprofit was probably very helpful to him, at the very least when it came to writing cover letters, but if not just that, possibly in further aspects as to how he presents himself on a whole, or even whether he was inexperienced for such a position and therefore what made him an uncompetitive candidate, or in this case a particularly uncompetitive candidate. And I would definitely tend to agree that it would be mutually beneficial to explain to someone why they did not receive what they had been applying for, whether that be a job or a relationship or anything else really. I think it would be interesting therefore to explore why, when we reject somebody, the reasons we do not explain further. Which is a crucial question to bring up. And the optimist in me wants to argue that it's out of a sense of universal compassion that all of us can appreciate how hard it is to feel rejection in most, if not every format. You do look at yourself differently and it might ruin your day, week, month, perhaps even year, or to an extent could be life-altering rejection. History contains various stories, forgotten and otherwise, of people who spent decades working towards something only to fall short of their goal. And that's a rejection, somewhat like a job or a school application, that can be faceless. There's no person attached to it, but you do still feel deep failure. And so now when there's a person doing the rejecting, the power is still the same. You might look at yourself just as critically and feel just as downtrodden or helpless. But to take a more cynical approach, I think one reason many of us don't give more reasons in rejection is that we don't want to be the object of that person's scorn, frustration, or maybe even hatred. People are very passionate about their pursuits and about their lives, so it makes sense that they would feel so strongly about rejection, and as a result why we as social creatures would feel this reluctance to reject others. Prior to recording, you and I were talking about the aversion people have to confrontation, which to me is a thread through jobs, dating, and schools. People don't want to be seen as confrontational or aggressive, and it leads to certain phenomena, as you've mentioned dating apps, like ghosting, 
where someone is displeased with a date or a potential relationship, and rather than explain it, they simply fade into the digital ether. And I'm not trying to shame people for that. I don't tend to agree with the practice, but I can't deny how easy it is when you don't have a person in front of you to treat them less like a person and more like an opportunity you are turning down. Perhaps another thread through this entire conversation is that rejection may be getting easier in the 21st century as technology proliferates. Back in the day, you would have to see someone face-to-face or write them a handwritten letter telling them X or Y didn't work out. You would have to spend actual time considering someone else, and I'm going to go out on a limb and presume their humanity was considered as well, And I'm not apocalyptic enough to say that we no longer see humanity in human beings, but we can all point to examples on the internet of how easy it is to dehumanize someone and to stop considering their feelings. I wonder if that plays into rejection at all. But also, counteracting my theory, wouldn't that make it easier to reject people? You could write as much as you want and never actually have to encounter that person again. I found your point about being the object of somebody's scorn or hatred upon rejecting them to be very interesting. And I think you definitely touched upon a point as to why it's so difficult to actually give somebody reasoning as to why they were rejected. I would argue that in dating in particular, it's very difficult to reject somebody or end a relationship without appearing as the bad guy. And I think in that pursuit to avoid that, things can get very messy. Personally, I find it somewhat difficult to articulate exactly what I'm feeling in such a way that I do not appear cold or calculating, perhaps. And therefore, when in the position of someone rejecting another person, it would definitely prove to be much easier if I just disappeared. So in that way, perhaps the faceless manner of rejection that we see in the 21st century we live in now is an aspect of that. It is much easier to ghost and disappear or to send a vague and pre-constructed letter of rejection from a job or a university or perhaps to send nothing at all. There are very few repercussions that could come back to you as a person and reflect poorly on your own character. Something you touched on before we started recording was the element of rejecting someone's identity. The example I believe you gave was being rejected as a singer from an a cappella group, and the reaction that singer would have would be to say, but I am a singer, I have been singing for 18 years, and now you are telling me that I am not what I believed I was. And I find this a very core aspect to a lot of rejections. When we are rejected by someone we thought could have been a partner, a friend, an employer, or even a school, in some ways we are experiencing what we believed to be our own self-image. We are experiencing that image rejecting us and telling not only us but the whole world that we are not who we believe we are. And I find that is possibly the most painful part of a rejection to receive. So perhaps this is what makes it undesirable to be the face attached to that rejection and to tell somebody that what they believe of themselves is not true. That was beautifully said and gets at the reality component of rejection. It's not simply a deduction being made, but you are slamming someone's face into reality or at least to question their own reality. To use a metaphor, a flare, campfire, or other source of light might be very useful in illuminating an otherwise dark and ominous space. And I think a lot of people, 
perhaps curious folks like myself would say, well, yeah, of course, more light is better. But sometimes, as I really think you're getting at, Ian, you illuminate things you don't want to see, things that are painful and even more terrifying than your imagination had originally conjured to fill that darkness. I'm often someone who says that reality is best known, but it can be really brutal. And I don't want to skate past that or gloss over your point, and I'll say revelation, that now frames the rejector as a carrier of this great burden of reality. You're not someone sending a letter. You might be telling an 18-year-old college applicant that they are, as you said, Ian, not who they believe themselves to be. Some of us might find that dramatic, but our identities are spinal columns of our lives. Our personalities, everything that emanates from them, is based in who we see ourselves to be as we wake up and go about the world. And I also think rejection is particularly difficult because if we were going to chart it on a graph, most of us experience it early in life, both because we're exploring more and therefore encountering more circumstances from which we can be rejected, but we're also finding our place in the world. Colleges, jobs, potential partners are going to happen in those early decades of your life. And as a result, I think a lot of rejection is going to be concentrated there as well, which I think makes rejection that much harder for the rejector. Not that young people are more vulnerable, but they don't have as much life experience and can't locate rejection in the context of years and decades they haven't yet lived. And a last point I want to make related to time and years specifically. As I was watching the video in preparation, one thought occurred to me that I'd really love to share with you and, of course, the audience. The possibility of hearing back from every rejection we received five years later, with as much detail as we might request. I say five years as a rough time frame, past which I think most of us move on from some of our hardest rejections. I, of course, say that knowing that some people live with trauma for years and entire lifetimes, and I'm not trying to boil that down. But I personally can think back to rejections that still stung a year later, but five years after the fact were more of a distant memory, and the curious part of me would still really like to know what that other person, entity, or faceless group was thinking about my candidacy, for lack of a better word. I think it's very interesting to explore some of the rejection that we do face in our younger, more formative years, especially in the context of how it affects us and our identities. I think the note you touched on about being older and having many more years of experience under your belt, I think that's important when it comes to how we handle rejection. Someone who has lived for many years has a very good understanding of who they are and how they fit into the world and how others perceive them most likely. Whereas younger people, myself probably included, do not have this sort of experience and are still seeking that sort of knowledge of our own identities. So the applications that I, as a younger person, might put out to all sorts of journeys of life, as a younger person, these applications are probably ways for me to test my own identity and to see where I fit in in some ways. I think everyone is probably seeking a purpose for themselves in life. And that can come from many different ways. As a younger person, jobs, relationships, and schooling are pathways that I would take to personal discovery about who I really am. Therefore, the nature of rejection from these, as you said, can be taken very personally and it can hurt for quite a long time. And therefore, hearing rejection of this is a way to basically close a door, perhaps, 
unless I am very strong-willed and persistent and choose to go elsewhere. To bring it back to your point of sort of a five-year grace period, so to speak, post-rejection, while likely completely unrealistic, I definitely see the merit. One could argue that it might perhaps be helpful even immediately after the rejection. It definitely might make that rejection hurt and sting a great deal more. But to understand the reason why is one of the only ways that we can improve ourselves. When we're children and we do something that is inappropriate, our parents are usually quite quick to adjust that action. And that is how we as a species are able to convey information on and develop the societies that we have. When experiencing rejection in the adult world, so to speak, if we are denied the justification for our rejection, then it is very difficult for us to prepare ourselves for the next application we may put forth. But as I said, it's probably completely unrealistic to expect this from the world. As we said in the beginning, the world is a very busy place. And to take the time, for example, for a manager to take the time to handcraft rejection letters for everyone who applied for a certain position is just not plausible. I'd be curious to see my hypothetical mind ever wondering if managers or other rejectors, to use the term, left a means of contact at the bottom of rejection letters and said, if you'd really like to know why we didn't choose you, you have up to three days to call us back and we'll give you as much detail as you want. I wonder how many people would take them up on that. It is admittedly very scary, as we've said in countless ways now, to face and actually grapple with rejection, I would say not only to the points of identity that you remarked upon, but the fact that, especially when we look at jobs, dating, and school, these are three factors that are intimately intertwined with survival. If you don't have a job, at least in most economies or areas of the world, you may struggle to survive. Similarly, dating is a common means of finding a partner to raise children with, to literally pass on your DNA, which is of course a backbone to your identity. And schools fall somewhere in between the two. For many of us, they are a means of getting ahead, securing a better job, a better rank or status in a very hierarchical world. And so the weight of these rejections is pretty self-evident. I also really liked your point that if we don't know the justification for certain rejections, how can we prepare for the other applications we'll have to make? Not only is the world busy on a manager level, but on an applicant level. If we break the world down into black and white, rejectors who have power and applicants who are seeking some position or some modicum of power, applicants can't sit still or stop after a single rejection, though they can often feel like life-ending letters. It would be helpful in that context to have some information, any way you might better improve your chances going forward. But one of the last points I'd like to make is that about halfway through this conversation, you mentioned feelings in a very explicit way. And I wanted to come back to that and note that in a lot of cases of rejection, perhaps most vividly in dating or other social circumstances, we do have gut feelings or general senses about other people and how they would or wouldn't fit into our lives. And though we might be able to articulate it, perhaps coming across as cold and calculated, as you noted concerns about, it's often not that cut and dry. We don't always know why certain people rub us the wrong way or why we chose one of two perfectly qualified candidates who were equal in most or all aspects of their resumes. At the end of the day, emotion, however big or small, 
factors into our decisions. And perhaps that's what makes rejections the hardest of all, that there is no way to game the system because human beings are fallible and subjective creatures. So you might not always be able to fix, quote unquote, the things that were, quote unquote, wrong with your application or candidacy. And therein lies a great deal of pain that simply sits there. Once again, I think it comes back to a portrayal of oneself, your own image. As you said, it's very subjective why we as humans might reject another from our social circle as a viable dating partner. I would argue that it comes down to the image we wish to portray for ourselves. If somebody has a certain expectation of how the world should be viewing them and somebody does not fit into that image that they've constructed, then you will probably have a hard time getting that person to change that self-image to therefore allow a new person into their lives. To give a scenario for you, say I was seeking your friendship, Kip, that would mean that I have decided that you would reflect well on the self-image I believe that I portray. For you to accept me would suggest that you share that belief with me. Were you instead, however, to reject me, it would likely mean that I do not fit into that image that you would like to portray to others. So then you, as the one with the power in this situation, would be presented with a choice. First and foremost, you, of course, have the choice of whether to reject me in the first place, but had you chosen that avenue, you would be forced to decide whether you wanted to explain yourself or not. And I think it's fair to say that most everybody would prefer not to be characterized as a bad person or mean or cold-hearted. And this puts you in a very difficult spot to have to explain to me why I do not fit into the life that you would like to construct for yourself, or to take a step back, perhaps, the business you're looking to run, or the sports team you're playing on, or performance group that you are a part of. So I would argue that we avoid telling the truth in its harshest form so as to continue to paint ourselves in a manner that made that individual wish to apply to our position in the first place, because it's very unlikely that that person would have applied to us because they believed us to be mean to begin with. So to reject them might be to shatter not only the image they had for themselves, but it could also shatter the image we had for ourselves. When we reject them, maybe we do have to confront the fact that we aren't as kind as maybe we thought. Which makes a really excellent point that in rejecting, we're not hurting people who don't care about our opinions. We're hurting people who have made themselves vulnerable, who have exposed their hearts and minds to our opinions as hypothetical rejectors. And for me, I think that's another reason rejection feels so hard to deliver. As you said, we recognize maybe we aren't as kind or as great as we originally thought if we're about to hurt someone. But in the process of rejection, the rejector is brought face to face with the reality that they hold some power over someone that they can affect and influence someone's life, someone's emotions, and depending on the circumstance, maybe someone's entire future. That's a terrifying idea to consider when we as people are often taught to be very cautious around power. But Ian, before we conclude this episode, which was admittedly a discussion of a discussion, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to what we've had to say? Yeah, I think some of the key takeaways from this conversation we've had would be to consider why it is that we are rejecting somebody and how that sort of reflects on our own nature. If we are avoiding explaining why, is that perhaps for more internal reasons or is that just because it would be easier in the situation? 
and from the other side to consider what it means to be rejected and consider the position our application put the rejector in and how handling that power might perhaps be difficult for many of us. Consider were you in the other person's shoes, whether it would be helpful for you to either explain or receive the information as to the reason for your rejection. And a final question, perhaps, to bring it back to the reality of this modern age we find ourselves in, is that the application process as a whole really is a trial by fire. So perhaps a more important question to ask is where can we learn the reason for our rejection outside of the rejection itself? Are there people who, who we can discuss this with to help us learn the reason for our rejection without perhaps damaging our egos? To me, that remark points to the value of self-awareness. Maybe self-reflection would teach us the things other people also could, albeit in more blunt or uncomfortable ways. I'd also love to hear stories people have of being rejected, moving past that, or of having been a rejector and maybe lingering on the power you held and the damage you did or worried that you might do. Lastly, as your initial prompt for this episode, Ian, was reflecting on the role of being a rejector, are there ways that we could teach children or any people not only to take rejections less personally, but actually to reject in a more gentle, diplomatic, and maybe even thorough or detailed way when appropriate? I'd be really curious to hear any thoughts on that. And Ian, for taking the time and sharing your thoughts today, I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we're definitely not the only two people who've been rejected or thought of the topic before, so we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.